What's up, everyone? This is Peter Neal from GSP REI, and you're listening to the Real Estate Investing On Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to help both active and passive real estate investors take their real estate investing game to the next level so that you can grow a successful real estate investing business or find out what to look for when you're investing passively in a real estate investment business. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing On Point Podcast. I'm here with Ron Lockhart and Wade Carroll. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Good morning. Good. Um, so what's happening? Anything Anything new going on? Anything exciting? Anything worth uh, sharing with uh, each other here? Outside of watching the the uh, stock market get beat up, <laughs> watching, bond, watching bond yields go up, that, that's, uh, that's pretty well, much... What's your me. perspective on as a real estate investor when you watch that stuff and, and its ups and downs? I mean, what's your perspective? What does that... What, how does that make you think? Yeah... I guess, Peter, you want to know how that relates to the real estate market. Um, yeah, you know, we have a lot of passive investors who are, you know, still still in stocks, bonds and mutual funds or, you know, I mean, they have a traditional IRA or something like that, um, you know, or, or whatever it may be. They're 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 bullish on it for whatever reason at the time. Um, what's what's your thought? Like Wade just said, he doesn't have a lot in in it at this stage of the game. Um, maybe I'll direct the question to Wade. You know, was there a time when you did, and then what made that shift from, you know, having more in, and then because you were you were an options guy, weren't you? Didn't you trade options for a while? Or well, no, just securities. Not it wasn't. I mean, we traded options, but we weren't we weren't an options firm. I would say we just used them for, you know, avoiding risk, or you know, yeah, we used to have a ton in the market, and it's. That is stressful because you control so little of it. Now, I mean, I like to mess around with it, right? I I pay attention to oil. And of course, as it relates to us here, it's just interest rates. So interest rates are interesting. And you can see how it affects your portfolio, how it affects your refis, things like that. But, but yeah, the reason I'm not in it is I make more money with real estate for yeah, now. A lot, of, a lot of people you know, target the 10-year in relation to real estate interest rates and and there definitely is a correlation but that's not the only uh determining factor of what you know real estate interest rates are a lot of it has to do with liquidity in the secondary markets in the mortgage-backed security market so you know like a lot of things we talk about on here um you know sometimes you have to to peel the onion back a little bit to see exactly what's going on you know, as I mean, I, I believe this morning the, the ten year shot up over a multi year high. You know, pushing up around four point eight, which is pretty high. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with uh, mortgage interest rates over the next next few days, and see you know, if the markets is being as reactionary as it's been over the last like six months. I feel like it's it's not as reactionary as it was. Um, you know, we saw interest rates move up pretty quick earlier in the year. They leveled off a bit, you know, and they've been kind of moving in a pretty pretty tight range for the last few months. Yeah, it's 4.76 right now. Yeah. 10 year. And what do they say? Once once uh 
I think it was Art Cash in this morning who's been around forever. He was saying once the 10-year goes up over 4.7, you know, you're going to see the stocks, stock markets start to pull back. And, you know, look, that's obviously when interest rates go up, it it puts a little more pressure on what we do from a, a real estate side as far as refinancing and borrowing. But like we've talked about many times, you know, we we stress our model pretty, you know, a few points, a couple, couple, three points above where we are right now. Um, you know, and then when you have the stock market get beat up, you know, where are you going to put your money? Are you going to put it in treasuries right now? You know, two year, five year, 10 year, or, you know, do you look at real estate? Because um, even when interest rates go up, you know, you're going to see rents typically move along with them, you know, as new as as investors develop new assets and they bring them to market, if they're paying a higher interest rate, they're going to look for a higher rent. Now, you know, in a market where there's an oversupply, you know, that may not work. But right now, when you're in a market where we're in, which is a little bit of a double whammy, you have extremely low supply, you have higher interest rates, which is you know, a deterrent for people selling their home and creating more supply. So the demand is high. Um, you know, I think you're seeing rents move somewhat in tandem with the interest rates. Yeah, I, I, that's usually, you know, the, the, there's a correlation between interest rates and rent in that sense. And it, just like in business, if the cost of uh, goods and, and things like that increase, it's going to be passed on to the consumer. And uh, it works similarly in the real estate world, where if the cost of capital is more expensive, chances are it's going to to be passed on through through increases in rents. Um, and it's like you said, it's challenging now because there has been such massive increases in rents across the board in in multifamily and single family. Uh, I'm sure in the commercial space as well. You know, I mean, I, I've seen it a little bit through through the brokerage. You know, there's. Um, definitely been an increase in rents across the board. And if, like you said, if the cost of capital is going to increase, then they have to find a way to make it up somewhere. Um, but when you've had so much increase, there gets to be a point where it kind of it levels off. You know I mean, so and interest rates can keep going up, but you can't push the rent side very, you know, much higher than it already is, that kind of thing. Uh, especially too, like the like you mentioned, there's that demand factor in it as well for for our market in single family um there hasn't been a, a massive increase of, in supply um so there's some room there and then you know related to uh what the cost of owning a property uh, owning a home is and and financing it you know and what that interest rate would be for the home buyer um so there's a lot that factors into that um we could probably take a deeper dive into that before today i was hoping we'd kind of continue the conversation that we had started on the other uh, other episode, we were kind of talking about you know first steps as a as a real estate investor, maybe somebody totally new, um, or maybe somebody getting into a new market, uh, or somebody who's been doing it for a long time but kind of wants to get back to the the foundational things and um, maybe revise or refine their strategy with everything going on multifamily investors who are looking for more opportunity might be looking towards single family because of the supply and the demand metrics being so different. Um, so we talked about some of the key 
things that we look for when getting into a new market. And I kind of felt like, yeah, and it led us into the conversation of execution. Yeah, you know I mean, and and um, you know, you can know all the things in the world about the market. And you know what's where, where it's at in, in a cycle or something like that. But if you can't execute, you know what what good does that do you? So today I wanted to take some time to talk about the execution side of things, um, and you know talk and and we could probably we could talk about acquisitions or we could talk about construction. I think it's I think we talked about this on the other episode. It's so important that. Uh, an investor, a real estate investor, especially in the single family space, I mean, has their construction side of the business down pat. So my question to both of you uh, is, because you're kind of coming at it from from different angles too. Um, Ron, you're running the boots on the ground in Philadelphia and and, and Baltimore and South Jersey. Uh, Wade, you're managing construction sites in 40 different states and uh, you know hiring contractors all over the place. So for somebody who you know knowing what you know now, I guess we can look at this in a couple different angles. You know, knowing what you know now, if you were starting over again or you could go back and tell yourself when you first got into the business. What would be your advice uh, for you know from a from a construction perspective? You know I mean, how would you go about it? You know I mean, would you would you be your own you know GC? Would you work with a general contractor? You know, w- w- you know when you're working with subs and general contractors, all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, this is a big question. Let's kind of just start talking about it and see where it takes us. When Ron, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're first getting into this, if you have no ex- construction background or experience, it's, I think it can be pretty perilous. Um, you know, doing as much research as you possibly can, understanding as much of the construction process as you can is, is a very good first step. And I think also looking at the, the level of construction in in your early projects. I think, you know, somebody who's first getting in that has no experience to to tackle a new construction project actually would be a little bit easier than somebody who's coming in and tackling a value-add property that's not just, you know, a new bathroom and some paint, but you know, kind of a we'll call it a you know a fifty percent renovation because there's a lot more that you don't see that you just you you just don't know about. Um, you know, it's like when somebody's you know building a home from the, for themselves as their primary residence. You know, you, you interview contractors. There's a lot of information or builders, I should say. There's a lot of information on builders out there, so you can kind of see their previous projects, talk to people they built houses for. When you get into that kind of middle ground where you know you might be spending, you know, fifty thousand dollars on a two hundred thousand dollar house, it, it it's a little bit vague is not the right word, but there's more to miss because you may not be changing out systems, you know, electrical, plumbing, but there might be issues going on behind the wall. So, you know, I I think it's either, you know, you start with something small where it is just kind of paint and you're cleaning something up and getting it ready, or you start at the extreme, you know, ironically, with uh, with maybe a new construction project. But most people, 
that's a, that that new construction project also brings on a whole other set of complexities. You know, understanding um, approval processes, permitting, zoning, on and on and on. There's a lot of other areas you can make some mistakes there. So, you know, this is my long-winded way of saying walk before you run. Um, you know, ease your way into it. Unless you've got somebody who's, you know, very, you know, that's trusted, that's a general contractor, that you're not really going to have to worry about, that you know they're going to do right by you. Because, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of pitfalls out there with general contractors. Um, you know, you give up a lot of control. And if you don't understand the construction process, general contracting yourself can, you know, be a nightmare. Um, so Ron, let me interrupt you there. You know, I mean, explain what a general contractor is and, um, and what it, what it is that they do and the value they provide and how it's different than a subcontractor or a construction manager. Sure. Um, a general contractor even functions a little bit like a construction manager. You know, they're running the project. Um, you know, they're, they're not, they may have their own people. They may not. Uh, they're they're contracting with subcontractors that may be an electrician, a plumber, a drywall company, a roofer, you know, kitchen company, bathroom company, and they're essentially managing the whole job. Everything is running through them. You're paying them. You're not paying the subcontractors, and they're they're controlling your job. They're running your job. Um, so that's pretty much what a general contractor is, and a construction manager functions. Similarly, in a residential capacity, uh, commercial is a little bit is a little bit more involved. But a construction manager is going to do a lot of what basically what a, a general contractor does. You may have a a different kind of arrangement where you're paying the construction manager a fee to manage the project, and you're paying the subcontractors directly. But you could also structure that same type of arrangement with a general contractor. So. You brought up a, a ton of different things, and I thought it was you had an interesting angle there, where it was like you know you kind of wanted to start with uh, start big in the sense of not necessarily big, but you know from like a new construction angle because the the process of that is going to be um, maybe a little bit more straightforward than than a value add. You know, I mean something in the middle where you know your your budget and your time frame and all those things are going to be pretty crucial. Not that they're not obviously. Um, for new construction, but your your underwriting is going to have to be pretty good, and and there could be mistakes made, uh, you know, in in underestimating how much things are going to cost. Uh, that could be a little different on the new construction side, and then and then you took it the other way, where it was like. Um, you know, find a project that's that isn't just isn't, isn't going to be you know like 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 you mentioned the walk before you run kind of a thing. You know, maybe it's just paint and flooring and throwing a couple new cabinets in or something minor like that. Um, so, what what would you say like if if would your would you go would you start would you look for if I'm totally new? You know, I mean, would you look for that trusted general contractor and work with them and hope that. Hey, if you can work with them and and trust them that they can kind of teach you along the way, and then maybe if, if it makes sense, you know, take the role of of becoming your own GC and and working with the subs, you know, yourself. Or hey, maybe it makes sense and you just continue to work with that general contractor. Uh, or would you go 
you know, an, another step and, and, you know, try and, and, you know, try to be your own GC right off the bat. You know what I mean, cause I think it's going to be challenging to find those subcontractor relationships and they're going to want to make sure that, that you have the background and you're going to bring business to them consistently, that kind of thing. So kind of, you know, where would be your, you know, you kind of, you mentioned step one was kind of research and, and knowing the process. So where would, where would your research start? And I mean, and what would be your suggestion, your suggestion, you know, for somebody who who wants to get into real estate, you know what I mean? But the, the, the construction side is a little bit new to them. Well, look, in, in today's world with the internet and Google, you know, there's, I mean, everything you could hope to know about the construction process is available online. Having said that, you know, that's, you know, reading articles, reading books, and understanding how somebody wires a house doesn't necessarily help you identify problems. You know, a lot of that comes more from experience. Um, you know, I think even before you buy a property, if if you're if you think you're going to be looking at something that has any sort of, you know, level of 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 repairs needed, you know, starting to talk to general con- contractors is definitely a good start. Um, you know, unless you have a project for them to look at, you know, you're really just going to be, you know, talking to them in general terms, getting references from them, talking to people that they've worked with, you know, to your point about subcontractors, you know, if you don't have relationships with subcontractors, it can be tough to get quality pricing and also be a priority. You know, that's where general contractors that do a lot of business with subcontractors certainly have an advantage. Um, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying about the new construction. I'm not suggesting that you, know, you jump in with both feet and do a new construction project. I'm just saying that from a an assessment standpoint, pricing out a new construction project can actually be easier, you know, assuming we're not building the Taj Mahal here. You know, that can be easier than assessing a project or the cost of a project that, again, may be a $250,000 house that you're putting $75,000 into. I think that there's more margin for error there than there is uh, on the other side. So I, I would uh, think, too, on a new construction, you're probably going to hopefully get a little bit of a higher quality contractor on a on a job like that. Because if, if you're doing a new construction, you're, you're going to be your suggestion, I'm assuming, would be work with a general contractor who's experienced with the process of that. You, you can look at it, building, building companies, right? I mean, I, exactly. Whatever, whatever area you live in, you know, it's it's pretty there's a lot more information out there about builders. Then there are general contractors, you know, and builders function very much like a general contractor, although some building companies have all their own, you know, everything's in-house. They may or may not, but there tends to be a lot more information available for new home builders than there are for just general contractors. So that's the only reason I said that. I think that you can be a little more precise than you know, a home that's, again, that needs to be 50% um, renovated, especially if it's an older home too, right? I mean, the areas that we live in, Philadelphia, you know, we go down to Baltimore, New Jersey, a lot of times we're dealing with homes that are, you know, 100 plus years old. 
you know, identifying problems in that type of construction, you know, a lot of general contractors aren't equipped to, to do that. I mean, I live in a home that was built in the 1840s. You know, not everybody knows how to work on a house like that. So, you know, when you go into an area where you have homes, you know, that are, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 plus years old, you know, your pool of of general contractors that really understand that type of construction starts to shrink. Um, and then a lot of times those homes that, you know, that have, you know, some original wiring, knob and tube wiring, or they have old plumbing, galvanized pipe, um, you know, sewer lines in the city. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong that you can, um, you can try and do a lot of, you know, preliminary work to diagnose problems, you know, with video cameras going up lines and this, that, and the other thing, you still run into problems. Um, so, you know, and I would also say that if you're looking at a project that, like that, you think it's going to cost X, add 10 or 15%, you know, and make sure your numbers work. Sure. Um, we bring up a couple really good points there. And uh, I think on, on a different episode, we can dive into, you know, making that leap to maybe becoming your own GC and, and when that makes sense and some of the skill sets you need to have and, and you know, some of the uh, relationships that you need to have. But let, let's pop it over to Wade because, Wade, you you hire a lot of, uh, I'm assuming, mostly general contractors all over the country when when you're buying you know first position notes that you're gonna you know that are vacant and you're gonna take back the property and and do some value add um so what would you say when you're investing you know out of state uh and you're hiring a, a contractor to to go you know add value to a property how does that process begin and then what do you do to try to make sure that it ends the way that you you want it to end yeah, we we employ even now the walk before you run. Um, when when we're in a new market where we don't have the what I say is competency, like we we don't have uh, sophisticated people that we know and trust, uh, then the the first thing we do is decide how much construction needs to be done, right? And if it's a lot, then we're probably not going to renovate that property. So in new in new markets, we stick to you know paint and carpet kind of construction uh, in in new areas where my margin for error is much much lower. Uh, it's only when I believe or trust my guys and our competency in that area is high, like Chicago, uh, do we reach out and do the the heavier renovations. Uh, just like the two Ron did for us uh, recently, those were sixty plus thousand dollar rehabs. You know, I I wouldn't bite off a construction job like that in a market that I'm fairly new in. Uh, like we were talking before this uh, show, uh, we have six or seven projects in Tulsa. We don't have a high level of competency in Tulsa. So we're going to go through each one of those units. We'll likely limit those construction. To the to the homes that only require paint and carpet, you know, minor minor repairs. Uh, if these are successful, then the next go around, maybe we'll stick our neck out a little bit more. Once we find a contractor, we uh, we we can trust. But yes, generally, we'll I'll sniff out and try to find a general contractor. There's a couple ways 
we find those guys. But then also in, in some markets, we just did a, a pretty big job in Burnett, Texas. And it's a small, it's a neat town, lake town in Texas. But uh, the GCs we found are the construction bids were insane, super high. So we actually played general contractor ourselves. We we found the subs and we hired them one at a time and went through the house and we saved about 40 grand uh, doing so. But it's that's a distraction for us. It, it takes away time that could be better spent for our guys. So uh, there's pros and cons, but 40 grand is a lot of money. So we did the GC work ourselves. So Wade, let's, so you mentioned, I know we've had, a. I know, I remember years ago, we had a conversation around how, how you go about finding these contractors, like get into that a little bit more. Cause I remember you talking about, you know, there's certain people you'll call and ask for referrals and, and things like that. I mean, what would, what's your process uh, when it comes to that? You know what I mean? Who are you calling real estate agents, title people, attorneys? Um, and then you're, I'm assuming you're asking for referrals. And then when you get those referrals, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you do? I mean, what, how, how do you start the conversation and what are the questions you're asking? And I'm assuming at this stage of the game, there's probably certain things there's certain qualities or, or, you know, aspects in the conversation and what they're saying and what they do where you're thinking, you know, okay, this part, this person is probably going to make more sense than another person or something like that. So get into a little bit of that detail. Yeah. In, in larger markets, again, like Chicago, Philadelphia, Dallas, there are, there are actually entire firms that specialize in, what we call the asset management process. So if, if I have an asset in a large market, I'll sneak or I'll sniff out two or three of those asset management firms. And typically they, they provide services from soup to nuts from, you know, again, we, we start out by buying the note. So technically I don't own the asset. I own the paper, but I still need it secured. Uh, I need it inspected. I need to make sure, you know, certain maintenance items are done, whether it's just mowing the lawn or, you know, if a tree falls on the roof, you know, dealing with the water issues there far, you know, far before I ever actually own the piece of property. So if it's in a big market like that, there are firms available that, that make that that easy. And then once we do get in the construction side, they'll have four or five GCs that will bid the property and, and we just deal with, you know, whatever we, whoever we decide or determine is a better bid for that project. But that that's actually a small percentage of the loans we have. They tend to be rural. They tend to be in small towns like Burnett or in Tucson or uh, Tulsa, where there isn't a big firm that can, can take care of all those, those items. So, so yes, I, I talked to the real estate agents, you know, most real estate agent has, has dealt with a construction job here, there, or knows somebody, uh, they can give me a phone number too. Uh, but I also quite like calling up uh, property managers because property managers, you know, every time there's a vacant, uh, unit, they're doing a make ready. Uh, you know, your ACs are going to go out. So they know the AC guy, you're going to get a leak here, there. So they're going to know the plumbing guy. Uh, and, and you can get some pretty good contacts pretty quickly from a property manager. And then you just go through it. And yeah, from time to time, you're going to get burned. Uh, you're going to hire an idiot. Uh, 
So you you pay for your education, but you when you find found the one, a, an idiot, a, a way to weed out the idiots, there's not you know. Or, well, one thing oh. I one thing I started doing is <laughs> I just make them bid the job, <clears throat> and if if they're organized, if their if their scope of work is clean and organized, that I think that's a very good sign. I get some guys that they take a picture of this scribbled mess on a note bath yeah. and send it to me, and that's. You know, I've I've seen enough usually at that point. But then also, it's, it's, uh, if they have insurance, you know, if they're covered, do they have guys? Do they got workman comp? Things like that. Uh, a surprising number of guys will will bid out your house, and they don't have any coverage. You're mm-hmm. completely exposed. So, well, and we can <laughs> talk about why that that's bad on a, on another on another podcast and the problems that gets them from that. Um, how does the pricing difference between the asset management firms you were just talking about and, you know, just working directly with the GC, I'm assuming the asset management firm is going to have a additional, you know, charge or fee or something like that on top of that. Um, so what, how would you say, like, how do you, you manage the pricing? Like, would that asset management firm make sense for, you know, a, a regular, you know, real estate investor in like a city like Philadelphia or Chicago or something like that who wants to buy you know and hold or fix and flip a couple houses a year would a firm like that make sense for them to to engage in a relationship or do you think more of a of you know the g you know direct gc route would make more sense it could make sense um but keep in mind you you have to keep in mind how that asset manager gets paid And and generally with these firms, the only way they get paid is by getting the listing once you're done and you're ready to resell it. So they're organizing the construction guys. They're, they're vetting, um, your, your construction managers. They're putting together these bids. They're securing, locking up your home, inspecting it and taking care of it for no fee. Now you're going to reimburse them. There's costs with that. So you're going to reimburse them, but there's no fee. They just want that 3% listing. Or in our case, it's a two and a half percent listing. <clears throat> so if the investor is wanting to hold the asset, then the property or the the asset manager is never getting paid. So if, if that's the case, maybe find a property manager, the guy that's going to manage that tenant, manage that property later on, and get them to help you out. Because they're actually going to get paid in the back end. But, but most asset management firms... They don't they don't take a fee other than the listing when when you go to liquidate, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I started out with these these uh, six Tulsa properties and uh, calling up the different property managers in town. And then I asked what construction guys they use. And then I just started making phone calls and we'll end up having five bids on each one of these properties. And then by the time you're done with that whole process, you have a pretty good idea. Number one, you have a pretty good idea what I got and a pretty good idea who the better GCs are going to be. And then if I like any of the proper management companies that are they're doing the work. So, so it, it becomes pretty clear pretty fast. Yeah, I, I would think, especially if you're looking at three to five uh, different GCs, are you asking them for what you want to see, you know, from a from a scope of work, you know, to a to a schedule or or to a you know some kind of a takeoff yeah, that, materials list, or what are you asking for? That's actually the hardest part with our properties being scattered everywhere. I I, I am seldom ever in any of the properties, very seldom. 
and and trying to arrive at a scope of work from a bunch of photos. Uh, and again, that this that's not my my job. Ron would he could probably pull together a scope off a bunch of photos way better than I do. The the first couple scopes that I receive back from a GC are always uh, frustrating. Um, I we're, I'm trying to communicate that the purpose of this house is going to be a rental unit, so I don't need a bunch of high end everything. Uh, typically I'm more concerned about safety issues, uh, you know, electric and plumbing, that sort of thing, fire deterrent, things like that. But so I, so I don't need all new custom wood cabinets, you know, I need my cabinets to be good and sturdy and work. Uh, and I don't need, you know, high end quartz countertops either. So I, I try to give them a general idea what I'm looking for, but your first couple guys are going to give you a little bit different scopes. But once I have them, I can then create my, my own scope for the third and the fourth guy. So those scopes get narrower and narrower, or maybe not narrower. I would say more and more refined, but that's why it's nice to have several bids on it because if off the bat, bunch of houses in Tulsa, I, I don't, I don't know what they're going to need. Some of them look pretty rough, but you know, until I'm tearing stuff up, you just don't know. Question that just came to mind when, when you're calling a, um, a property manager, and you're looking to get a referral for you know a couple of a solid general contractors. How's that conversation go? Who do you want to talk to at the property management company? And um, you know what are the kind of you know what, what, how are you navigating that? You know what I mean are, are you are you is are, or is there some possible business for them or like what what just give me an idea of how the conversation goes? Oh yeah, well I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother them if I didn't think there's an upside for them. Yeah, if I'm calling property managers, I intend for them to manage those properties once once they're complete. So yeah, there's definitely a carrot out there for them. But a lot of times you're selling selling these properties from the new perspective. You're you're no, yeah, and again, it depends who I call. Depends on what I've determined the exit to be. Right. Okay. So if, if I'm just going to sell the asset, I'm probably not calling a property manager. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like a brokerage that uh, that has yeah, property I'll, management sales, okay, or something like that. That's okay. right. I'm, I'll do a little bit of research on Google, see who the firms are in town that I, you know, can tolerate, and we'll, we'll go from there. And and yeah, I'm. You guys know real estate agents are pain in the rear. They're just difficult, and so yeah, I usually call two or three till I find someone that I I think. I can work with. Or how do you go, how do you go about that, that process, Wade? Are, are you on uh, Google or on Facebook or like, um, how do you, how, do you have any tips for somebody who's looking for a you know, solid real estate agent in a certain area? You know, what, what would be your advice for somebody, you know, to just find somebody who's going to be that, you know, rock star and, um, you know, just, just hustle and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, if you can get a referral, that's always better. Someone that's worked with somebody, if, if you can do that. But uh, the very first search I do, frankly, is is I look for recent solds in the neighborhood of my subject property. And and it's kind of funny. I, I look at the photos they took. Did they did, Were they running through the house when they were taking the photos? Or did they actually hire a professional to take photos of the property? You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. That tells me a lot about an, an agent. Uh, and then if they've sold a house in my subject neighborhood, which is super important, they're, they're going to know the property better than I do. Yeah. That's probably the first person I would call and then walk them through the process that we're, that's in front of us to get that listing. 
What's your thought, Ron? You agree with everything uh, Wade's saying here? Would you do anything differently, or uh, what do you think? Uh, well, Wade knows all too well that I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to the uh, <laughs> the construction process. So, well, you've worked with general contractors. I think you have some stories there. Why don't you why don't you give us some some background on your experience working with a general contractor, and that probably led to why you do things the way you do them today. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we got into the construction business in the late 90s and we were doing new construction. And that's actually what led us into the investment side of the business. And it was the investment side of the business that led me to use some general contractors that just made me decide I didn't want to do that anymore. Now, there's... There's obviously a time and a place, you know, and Wade and and his team are very, very good at vetting people out. Um, I'm sure that he would be the first one to also tell you that they have their headaches, you know. So we went outside our geographic area and we started using um, some subcontractors. And like I was saying, shame on me. Uh, I probably didn't do the due diligence that I should have. And, and, and the funny thing is they actually came from people I knew. Um, and it was, uh, it was, a, it was a nightmare to be honest with you. Um, it was also a different time. Um, you know, it wasn't that they weren't doing work, but they were always behind schedule. Things always ended up costing more than they said they were going to cost. And, you know, I'm not trying to paint a, a broad brush here because there are a lot of very, very good general contractors out there. Excellent ones. Um, we just made a decision at that point that we wanted to maintain as much control of that process as we possibly could. Um, you know, the other thing you're fighting in today's, today's world is the contractors, especially, you know, kind of towards the tail end of the pandemic and right after the pandemic or in such high demand. And they really still are, you know, we keep in touch with a lot of subs because we do utilize subcontractors in our business, you know, for roofs and, and things of that nature. Um, and where some of that work has slowed up a little bit, because I think a lot of that, that subcontractor work was coming from homeowners that were reaching out directly to roofers, electricians, plumbers, and whatnot. The, the general contractors, the, the ones that I know that are the quality guys, they're, they're extremely busy. And, you know, if you, if you want to utilize a general contractor, you're going to pay for it. Um, you know, we, we, we analyze our costs quite regularly, you know, when it comes to the development side of the business. And, you know, if we were to, to use one of the general contractors that I would be feel comfortable using, it would probably cost us 30 to 40% more than when we handle it in-house. I mean, that's now that's not always going to stay like that. You know, when there's a little less demand on the on the on the construction in the construction world, that'll come back. But, you know, even when it comes back, unless there's some, you know, big event in the in the market that just causes everything to, you know, come to a screeching halt, you know, we still save. Well, we would still be saving upwards of twenty five percent by by doing that work in house, and we can control the process. Um, obviously, that's not an option 
for, for most investors. You know, most most investors don't have um, the construction in house. You know, they're they're relying on general contractors. And again, there's very good good general contractors in there out there. But you know, I think Wade will tell you, you 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 see the bid. He sees the bids he gets. You know, from multiple GCs. Sometimes it can be a pretty wide range in there. You know, as far yeah. as you know, where they're coming back. Um, so, you know, finding a quality general contractor that's going to give you good pricing, unless you're giving them a ton of business, you know, and they can see a longer term relationship, I, I think it's hard to get really good pricing. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. What would you say if you had to hire a GC now, knowing what you know and and having the experiences you've had? How would you go about it? What would be uh, what would be the questions that you ask, and uh, you know, what are the things, couple of top things that you look for? Uh, assuming that I vetted them out, and I and I, I, I <laughs> no, we're talking it, about. It, well, it, what, it, would, it, well, give me well, a little idea of the vetting well, I mean, process. Yeah, because of the look, because of the business that we're in, and the fact that we're in the construction industry to one extent or another, you know, we have relationships that. You know, I would call people I know in different markets and find out, you know, who are the quality GCs. Um, you know, once we've determined that they're the right fit, they they do quality work, you know, assuming that their bid is within our our budget. You know, to me, the next biggest thing is is kind of setting up the contract with, with them. Um you know, the payment schedule, I think, is important. They obviously need money to get started and to do work. But I think that, you know, there's checks and balances in those contracts, you know, throughout the whole process. You know, some of it depends on the size and scope of the work. You know, if it's a $10,000 job, you're not going to say, I'm going to give you four payments. But, you know, if it's a $100,000, $150,000 job, you know, you're giving them 30% up front and then, you know, it's probably two or three payments the rest of the way and making sure you're holding them accountable. And if they've never worked with you before, you know, they they should want you to feel comfortable as well. Um, you know, making sure they have all their insurance and proper licensing. Um, all should be, you know, boxes that need to be checked when you're when you're working with a general contractor. Um, where, where I see most people go wrong, and again, this is, it's hard if you don't have the experience. It is the is the contract. You know, I I I hear all these stories of people cutting a contract or a check for fifty percent of the project, and they you know start the project and say, oh well, it's going to cost more. You know, and and there's a dispute, and the contractor just walks away. Or, you know, they get the second draw and don't finish the project. I mean, those are a lot of the pitfalls that I see. It really has to do with the draw schedules and, and contractors not completing the work or getting paid before the work is completed. Well, you know what? That, that, let's, let's put a pin in it and, uh, you know, maybe we pick up there for the next show. I think that... We can talk a lot about, you know, okay, now that you've vetted and, and found a general contractor that you feel good about, or you've gotten a couple bids and you want to take things to the next level, you know, I mean, what what do you do from there? Let's, uh, let's pick up and talk about that. And I would just, I would add my two cents in from my perspective, you know, Ron, one of the, one of the first things I did 
when um when i realized you know i don't i don't have a background in construction i mean i didn't grow up in the business or something like that i i wanted to surround myself with people who did you know what i mean and and i i was you know brian was one of the first people i went to who who uh works for us as one of our you know project managers construction managers and yeah he had introduced me to you and you know we spent a lot of time together um you know just going on on site and you know looking at different projects and you know me asking a ton of questions and picking your brain and trying to transplant all the things that you've learned and the experiences you've had into my head you know through conversations and and getting out to job sites and you know talking to the crews and things like that you know I mean so my suggestion would be if you can find somebody who who is willing to do that for you um you know that that's a great way to get started you know and i mean and i know people who who've paid for that you know and i mean i was fortunate enough i didn't have to pay you ron but you know what i mean I, I add value in other ways you know and i mean and we were able to create a partnership that works where you know we can both focus on the things that we like to do and we're good at and leverage the other things you know that each other is good at and that kind of thing um but if you're going down this path and you want to be in, in the real estate investment business and maybe you want to, you know, you want to at least understand the process to make sure you're not getting taken advantage of, or, I mean, to help you have those conversations with the general contractor, if you can find somebody and you can spend time with them. And I have a good friend of mine whose um, father owns a, a ton of properties and, you know, he wasn't, didn't have any background in construction and he paid a, a general contractor when he first got started. It. And, you know, for weeks and weeks, he'd go out with this guy and just pick his brain and, you know, just spend time with him. And it helped him to understand that business. And, you know, he's gone on to own hundreds of properties. So um, the other thing I did was I, I got that uh, certificate in construction management from Temple um, that provided a, a really good foundation, you know, to do things the right way from a scope of work to a quantity takeoff to material list, you know, to, to scheduling and budgeting and, you know, just all kinds of things with, with insurance and bonding and, you know, just kind of learned, you know, the right way to do things from a foundational perspective. And, you know, there, it was, a lot of that probably would make more sense in larger jobs and construction jobs and or commercial jobs and things like that. So maybe not everything's going to translate over to the real world and, and how things are done, depending on what level of projects you're doing, like Ron mentioned, from a from a new construction to a value add or something like that. Um, but there certainly are courses and certificates and, and you know, things online and stuff like that. Um, the other thing, too, is you gr you get a great network out of that. I mean, some of the guys who do taught that course and who were in that course um, were were very prominent uh, people in the construction and and uh, in, you know business. Um, so you make good connections there. You know what I mean? So you can't go wrong with stuff like that. Um, but I think we covered a, a lot of different topics and a lot of things to think about. Uh, if anybody has any, you know, follow up questions for what we're talking about, always feel free to reach out from us. Um, but until next time, we'll we'll catch you on the next one. We'll talk. We'll dig a little deeper about now that you found a general contractor. Now what? How do you try to assure success as, as much as humanly possible? So, gentlemen, great conversation. We'll pick it up on the next one. 
there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing On Point podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us live on one of our virtual meetups. You can find more information on our website at gsprei.com. That's gsprei.com. Thank you again and God bless. We'll look forward to catching you on the next one.